0: Welcome back to the Kowski cast. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski. And I'm Hannah Elam. And we are getting spooky and continuing our coverage of the Netflix original series, The Haunting of Hill House. We're taking a look back at season one to recap the episodes and talk about all our favorite ghostly moments. Today we're diving in with the fifth episode of the series, The Bent Neck Lady. It's been a long time coming. Well, it's been five episodes, but we finally <laughs> got some got some more answers. We're putting some some little stones into Nell Hourglass, help help, bring her up with uh, with Luke and Theo. Yeah, we definitely get a little bit more of the timeline
1: filled up. Feels like we're gonna hit episode six and everything's just gonna hit the ground running and we're gonna get so many answers right off the bat because this one we just got, it's a heavy episode,
0: I will say that. <laughs> well, we have officially been at this point with this episode and the last one, the twin thing, we are past the point that I had ever watched up to so I'm now sitting over here with all my lights on with my my sound down to like two two percent sound so that I can just not get scared because I'm a wimp and it's not like I'm afraid of seeing the bent neck lady but having an entire episode about sleep paralysis and then waking up and seeing creepy things that got to me a little bit yeah I remember
1: the first time that I watched this a few years ago I struggled with walking around my house, I would be so afraid that something was just going to be lurking in the corners. When I was actually in high school, a couple of my friends had bought me a um, life-size cutout of Josh Hutcherson dressed as Peter Malark from The Hunger Games. And <laughs> we had set it up in the living room of at my parents' house. And there's a couple of times where you walk in and you just think someone's standing in the corner. So I definitely, you know, if there's laundry hanging up or other things, it, mm-hmm. I, I have to take a second look because you're like, wait, hold on. Is someone walking around or just like standing in my house. So that definitely happened a lot more frequently when I was first watching this show.
0: <laughs> that's really funny that you had that because I had given my sister a Liam Hemsworth as Gail Hawthorne from the <laughs> Hunger Games cardboard cutout once. And we used to also set that up like I would put it in her closet and then right behind the door. So when you'd open the door, it would jump out at you. And I have a life-size Jeff Probst from Survivor. So that's also very lifelike. Those things are scary, but good times. So he's uh, he's permanently like folded up under my bed unless I need to take him out for for events. But yeah, this whole episode I thought was nice to fill in a lot of the gaps. It kind of makes me sad because now that we've gotten a lot of these pieces, uh, particularly in the present, I kind of feel like we're not going to see a whole lot more adult Nell, like kind of got all of her story at this point. There's still some from the past, from the child Nell that we don't really know exactly what's going on. I was so anxious at the end there. I really thought we were going to see inside the red room and then we didn't, but we got really close, I felt like. So maybe that's still something we're going to get to see. But for the most part, this episode really just covers Nell's present over the last two-ish years, two, three years. Yeah. So we learned that Nell started to experience sleep
1: paralysis, as you said, while she was at Hill House. She wants to get help and learn more about why this happens and what's happening. During her sleep appointment, she connects with her sleep technologist, Arthur, who she later marries. We also learned that while... While she's with Arthur she doesn't see the bent neck lady during her sleep paralysis episodes so she still is experiencing them but doesn't actually see the vision of the bent neck lady and Nell believes that the bent neck lady killed Arthur.
0: I was feeling pretty confident that the bent neck lady also had something to do with Arthur's death because he okay so they said that he had an aneurysm and I don't know a whole lot about aneurysms I meant to look this up let me see sudden extreme severe headache nausea of- vomiting, stiff neck, blurred to double vision, sensitivity light, confusion. So potentially, I guess the stiff neck could be one, but it seemed more like he was choking. Like all of a sudden he grabbed his neck, like he couldn't breathe. So I don't know, is that something that usually happens when you have a brain aneurysm? I don't know. I really don't know about a lot of the medical ailments that you
1: have, but it definitely seemed like it was something similar to a stroke or a heart attack. There was something going on that is just so devastating because it's one of those he a seemingly young, healthy male and something really strange happens and he just dies, right? It's it's random. Based on Nell's history, it makes a lot of sense as to
0: why she would make the connection that the Beckneck lady was involved in some way. Exactly. So I also thought it was interesting all of the talk that we had about the sleep paralysis in this episode, not only because that's where she met Arthur, but because we didn't know that that was exactly what happened in the first episode when we see the bent neck lady over now sleeping when she's sleeping on the couch. I did note at that time that she did not does not scream in that scene, but we don't know at that point that it's because she's incapable of it. She's She can't move her arms or legs or open her mouth. Now, I don't really know if I would really classify this as sleep paralysis. I think this is something else sort of going on because it always seems to be the same type of situation, I guess, but I've talked very briefly on this podcast about my migraine auras and my Alice in Wonderland syndrome, which in case anybody has not just been so intrigued where they look that up. <laughs> it's just a type of migraine aura, but it's one that targets your senses and in particular is coupled with very hard to explain weird but terrifying dreams that like I've... I've completely identify with like sleeping and then being very shaken and unable to really put into words exactly what's going on or or like why anyone else would find that feeling scary. I've never been to a sleep technician but when we were trying to figure out exactly what I had as a child I did go to several like hearing therapists. I had that I don't know what that's called but like where they look at your brain waves on a tv and they pull those little wires on your head whatever that is and they were basically like yeah you're fine it's just a migraine aura. I'm like okay but so <laughs> still. So I identified with Nell here of like trying to figure out what's going on. And maybe maybe it is just that she needed needed the love of Arthur to, I don't know, be calm or something. And he knows the
1: steps to help her break the episode. And so he lovingly walks her through what to do and to control her breath. And I, I am curious to know how frequent people could be affected by something like this, because it seems like a very dangerous thing especially when you have the case of someone who's around you who has like what if you got woken up because someone starts to choke in their sleep and then you needed to perform some type of CPR right but you got woken up too quickly and you can't move your body I don't know it just seems very dangerous
0: <laughs> Yeah and I'm sure that doesn't help with Nell of the fact that she was going through this when Arthur had his aneurysm. Uh, can I say, maybe the problem is that they needed to get some bedside tables with some lights. Like, he keeps having to get up out of bed to go turn on the light. Why do you not have a light, like, right there? And this is modern day. I have my all of my lights on a little little s- remote so that I can turn them on from my bed. Because I don't like to turn off the light and then have to do that scary, like, oh, three-step yeah. run where you jump into your bed when it's dark. I don't want that. Well, you know, since this is a television set
1: their bedroom did seem pretty well lit for being a completely dark room too, so.
0: Mm, Seems like do they really even
1: need to turn the light on? You know, it's hard to tell. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) Well, we also see Nell struggling mentally, and we really connect with and gain a sense of empathy with her through all the struggles that she's having. We see her meeting with a therapist. We learn from Steven about different treatments that she's tried. She mentions that she's still on her medication, but she seems to throw away her current medication And one thing that we see the therapist recommend is that Nell confront her past since all of her issues seem to lead back to the house. And along with this, we learn that it's been 26 years since they lived here. So it's safe to assume that Nell and Luke would be 32 and the older siblings would, of course, be older than that. And we can go into a little bit more detail about her return after other highlights from the episode. But, you know, we we really see a lot about
0: how she's struggling. So we're going to have a lot of different little things that I want to touch on here one of the biggest ones is just we filled in some gaps from the other episodes where we know that she's had a strained relationship with a lot of her siblings. We heard Steve, Shirley, and Theo all mention in the first two episodes, oh, Nell knows what she did. She knows why I'm upset with her. Nell's always a mess. She's got the whole one foot on the banana peel, one foot in trouble kind of situation. And after seeing this episode, I feel like they really were not supportive enough of her. And I don't think, like, i completely on Nell's side for this. I mean, the biggest one we have here, obviously, is Theo, where we find out that the reason that Theo and Nell never made up and why Theo is angry with her had to do with she came to visit Nell at one point after Arthur's death. She kind of berates Nell for her family and her therapist are always getting on her about not taking her meds, which she's not. But also that just seems like such an easy excuse of, oh, I don't feel like helping you. So why? I'm just going to blame it all on you're not taking your medication. And so Theo gets mad at her for wanting, for Nell wanting her to basically use her her power of touch to, I guess, presume, sense if Arthur, you know, still has any sort of presence in the room. And I feel like, look, she's just lost her husband recently, and she feels all alone, and she's out here on the West Coast with Steve, who's clearly not the most uh, supportive sibling either. Have some sympathy. Is it really that big of a burden, Theo, to just do this for her once? I I mean, maybe it's like Nell has asked her to do this over and over and over and Theo's tired of it. I'm not sure. Maybe, but it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And then coupled with the fact that Nell knows what Theo's doing with the taking the money and it just doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like this was an argument that they couldn't have moved past and and gotten over. Like, I just feel like Theo should have been a little more sympathetic here.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to know how best to help people through the grieving process because so many people People grieve differently. And I think Nell is the only one who knows about Theo's power because we see her use it in front of Nell at some point in Hell House. And so it it is hard to know is Theo always asked this from Nell, but it does seem to me like it's a special case scenario. And I know that she talked to Steve when she confronts Steve, she says, I never ask you for anything. So it does seem like Nell's been kind of siloed off. Something else I was thinking about is in the previous episode, we We learn that Theo and Nell seem to be the ones experiencing the most ghostly connections while they're at Hill House, and so I think they're the most traumatized from their time there, and maybe maybe that's an incorrect assessment, but from what we've seen, it seems like they're the two that struggle the most with having a normal life afterwards, right? Nell is left with her sleep paralysis, Luke uses drugs to try and get away from what he's seen, and so it's hard, maybe for the other siblings to understand, because they didn't go through the same experience at Hill House, but we definitely see them not being very sympathetic to either of, of the youngest two.
0: Yeah, I feel like kind of in reverse order of age is how many ghostly experiences they had, like Nell and then and then Luke, and then Theo, and then probably Shirley, and then and then Steve. So I do feel if the older siblings have just spent all this time not believing Luke and Nell, then it must be easier to be like, oh come on, get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Or you're or exaggerating things or whatever. But like even the idea of they clearly lived in a kind of odd house. All of them experienced various weird happenings whether it just be doors shaking or rattling or noises or whatever. So they all clearly experienced some level of that even if they just lived in a kind of spooky house where there were some weird things happening and then the fact that their mother died there like that should be enough for I feel like the siblings to have some sympathy with each other and realize that they're not going to be able to just live these super normal lives and that they should be more supportive. But I guess when I heard especially Theo and Shirley talking about Nell in the first episode my image was oh, Nell has spent the last 20 years being a wild child who constantly needs them to help pick up the pieces. And it really doesn't seem like that as much. It just seems more like she has some mental stresses and obviously this sleep paralysis and some things haunting her that you would think she just really needs supportive people around her, maybe some more friends.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to know exactly. So we do hear that Arthur and Nell move out to LA because he has a job at UCLA. But for someone who is struggling mentally, I think it's very hard to pick up and move your life if you don't have a really good support system, and especially when the person that you were closest with passes away. I think the combination of her feeling the need to be there to support Luke after he moved out there is kind of what was keeping her there, but it's it's also hard to tell. And, and I agree that she really just needs support from her family, and that's not where she's getting it. I mean, we see a scene where Nell confronts Stephen at a book reading for his new book about out. Al- contrast and sort of exposes him for his non-belief of ghosts. Kind of what we were talking about in the first episode, right? Where if you're a magician, you're not going to walk around promoting the fact that you don't believe in magic, right? And so we can see that Steve clearly does not promote the fact that he does not believe in ghosts. And so this is a very embarrassing moment for him. And another part that we see from this is that a lot of people just want to hear about Hill House and his experience there. All the people don't have any questions about his new book.
0: Yeah, and I feel bad for him for that Kind of, but also like Nell had a lot of points there too of if you don't want to talk about Hill House you are going to, at the very least, tell your whole family that you don't believe their stories Then don't pretend to just to make money from your audience. I mean, I think that was kind of Steve's bad, right? Like, Steve should have maybe been a little more supportive. That's something we haven't really seen evidence for, is we haven't seen young to, you know, teenage, however old it was, Steve dismissing Luke and no, Nell. We haven't really seen that yet. We've seen him not know what happened as, uh, in Hill House when he was younger, and then we see him as an adult, clearly have denied some of those things. But I think Nell had a point there. And it goes back to the fact that she needs support, right? And she's not getting it from
1: anybody. When she's talking to a therapist, she says, you know, I confronted Steve like you told me to. And he's like, I don't know that I used that word (laughs) about it. But after this, she feels really good because she gets out her frustrations, right? This also connects back to what Theo said about Nell, that she's calling out and no one's listening to her. She has to make a huge scene in order for her big brother to just talk to her
0: so we see those gaps filled in with Theo and with Steve and we also hear a bit more about the whole twin thing and how Luke does end up moving out to LA after Nell does and we also see an interesting scene where it's right before Luke goes to this round of therapy that he's currently at his 90 days sober right before then she picks Luke up to take him there and he says that he needs her to basically go buy him some I think it's heroin in order for him to get well one last time which will help him to sober up when he gets to rehab and she does it and that's something that's also causes some tension between her and Theo at the very least because Theo really disapproves of that but now later says that Luke is doing fine because she basically went through withdrawal symptoms with him for a little while but then she hasn't really had any of these phantom pains since then. I
1: thought this was really interesting to hear more about Nell's side of the twin thing and a little bit more into how they both perceive this happening. And I and I do wonder, you know, maybe it is because of the fact that they shared a room at Hill House, right? All of the other kids in the house are in separate rooms. So, maybe because of that and the fact that they probably shared rooms at other houses that they lived in before this. There's something there where you've lived with someone long enough that you can just send signals to them. And this is something weird that like Brian believes you can do like like if you're close enough with somebody, you can send them mental signals and they'll like receive the transmission or whatever.
0: I don't I don't know about that. I mean, I feel like people talk about the twin thing in real life all the time and how, you know, they can people some people can finish each other's sentences or pick up on the tiniest little motions or nods and understand fully what that means. This is clearly something a little different with like Nell literally experiencing pain when Luke does, obviously, or fear or whatever when he does. But my sister, who is only a little bit older than me and we've spent almost our whole lives together and she actually just moved in with me now and we are very able to say the smallest sentence fragments and completely understand what we're talking about or you know just giving each other looks and stuff so we are able to do that but that's a much more realistic version of what Nell and Luke are experiencing here
1: yeah I remember spending a weekend at your parents house and your dad saying that you can never play I I don't know if it's catchphrase taboo Taboo. taboo. yeah you and Laura can never be on the same taboo team because you guys would just <laughs> obliterate everyone else. <laughs> yeah, kind of. In a flashback, we see the dad giving Nell a pocket watch, and it's supposed to indicate when her aunt should arrive because he's handing this off to her after the police have showed up uh, to ask him questions about what happened at Hill House on their last night. And he leaves with a police officer staying with the kids. We see him tapping on the pocket watch twice, and in the present time, we see the that Nell currently still has this. It's unclear why she continues to tap it twice, but it seems like this is potentially an item that gives her comfort. And it has an inscription on it that says, journeys end in lover's meeting. Happy 10th, yours
0: always live. Journeys end in lover's meeting. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think anything relationship-wise should, let's leave endings out of it. Just seems ominous. So it is a Shakespeare quote from Twelfth Night.
1: Interesting. The meaning is that lovers are more like twin souls separated at birth and relentlessly seek their counterpart all their life. And when they meet, well, that's when their journey
0: comes to an end. I wonder if they use that quote in She's the Man or not. They use a lot of of Twelfth Night quotes there. These are the questions we need answered in life. It really is. Okay, so that's really a lot of sort of miscellaneous stuff that happens in this episode. There are a few flashbacks to the past when the children were living in Hill House. The main one that I found interesting was Nell finds a tea set and she finds that one of the teacups has a pattern of stars on it. And she brings it to Miss Dudley, who says she, she kind of gives her like some creepy advice, telling her that she needs to use her cup of stars or she's going to be trapped like everyone else. Never give up your cup of stars. She goes from being kind of lighthearted to being like, no, never give up your cup of stars. and It's kind of <laughs> creepy. And then I noticed that adult Nell was drinking out of a mug that also had a star pattern on it. So there's some things like that. And I think she said that this the cup belonged to Jacqueline Hill, who was the daughter of the Hills, I yes. believe. So there's just like a lot of little things that are kind of, I don't know. I just, I don't want them, don't use anything from the previous owners. It just seems like a bad omen. Yes. Another
1: aspect that we learned about the last night is that Luke and Nell were having a tea party, right? And so we can presume that that's what Theo was seeing, possibly this tea set, was used in the Red Room. We also learned that Abigail was there.
0: Yeah, because Luke says that we were having a tea party with Abigail and mommy, but then Nell says that wasn't mommy. A Little bit of a, still a gap here that we need filled in on this whole Red Room tea party, Abigail situation that I'm not excited about <laughs> finding out. I don't know the, the Red Room. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. I hope it's just like got red wallpaper or something because I don't know why my mind is picturing it to be like fleshy. I, I don't know how to describe that, but being like, okay, well, I can, I can, I think I could safely say it's not going to be flushy. <laughs> okay, great. I don't know why, because that's just like, it was creeping me out. I'm just, I don't like the idea. Flushy might not be the right word, but like, I'm picturing the walls to be like padded. Okay. Mm. Uh, let's hope that that's not right. Yeah. So let's, let's talk quickly about Nell actually going to Hill House at the end of this episode. Right. So we see her return not only to the house, but to the motel
1: that her family visited after they left Hill House. And this is where she actually was in the scenes we see of her of current time in the first episode when she's calling all of her siblings and eventually she works up the courage to go back to hill house and when she enters there's that very strange film over it where everything looks really nice the lights are on and then we also see her family run across and they looked as they did when the summer they lived there but then we also see some flashes to what it truly looks like and it's an old decaying house that has been sitting there for 26 years.
0: Yes. So I do like that we get both of these sort of viewpoints of seeing clearly what Nell is seeing versus what's actually happening, which for the most part, I think makes sense. There's like one area where I get a little bit hung up on, which is so we have her mother come in and they're all sort of talking. Her mom is like smiling and kind of nice, but saying things that are a little bit pointed, a little bit creepy, which I think is to be expected because, you know, this is a character that we know is dead. And so it's very weird seeing her and she's saying you know you need to get dressed here go take this nightgown that's in my dresser Dresser. and so this is the part where I'm a little bit hung up on is like everything else we see we see Nell dancing later what we see is is from the first or second episode where Nell's arms are out and she's not actually dancing with anyone but the part that I'm hung up on is she is actually wearing this nightgown she does actually change clothes so this nightgown is here somewhere and that's weird
1: yeah so it's hard to know if ever Everything in the vision, like how Nell's seeing it, if everything is made up from Nell's head, maybe there are some things that are truly happening at Hill House. I and mean, I think that there's potential we could learn more about that later. So it's it's hard to know what to believe, right? So we see her dancing downstairs and there's a moment before the dance starts where we see all of the adult children dressed how they were for Nell's wedding. The siblings all tell Nell things that she's, she would have wanted to hear, right? Right, so we hear Theo apologize for arguing. Steve saying I believed you. Shirley saying we always knew you were right. Luke talks about how you did it, Nell, and I'm finally clean for good, and I'm and I'm sober. Right, and so these are all things that don't seem very uh, accurate to what would have happened if the siblings were actually there, based on the relationships that we've seen.
0: Right, and we've talked a little bit about my theory of Nell with her being the 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 sense one of the five senses of hearing of just like wanting to be heard and so here is all the siblings hearing her for the first time and telling her things that she wants to hear so I do like that and then also Luke is at the wedding which is nice and her father uh, with I was gonna say adult age but you know present day father but then her past mother is still there as well we see Arthur and so that's when they're dancing and then she she dances to the library-esque room yeah I guess The, the dancing finishes and her mom comes and takes her. She sees the blonde girl in the blue dress at the bottom of the spiral staircase, which is something that we saw in the little flash that Theo got from touching her father's hand on the last night. We see the mother, the young Luke, and they're treating Nell like she's young Nell, like this was a thing that maybe she experienced or happened. And they're saying, we need to go upstairs to the red room and have a tea party.
1: What's interesting about
0: the young girl is that we do
1: see her in this scene as it, as the Hill House is very, very nicely done up, but in the flash that we saw, right, it was the decaying, decrepit one. So we're seeing a disparity yes. between those two images here.
0: Yes. So then, of course, she goes up the spiral staircase. She looks back down and we see Arthur at the bottom, sort of at the other end of the room downstairs. And she notes that there is a rope wrapped around the staircase that has the a circular shape like a noose at the end of it, which is something that I talked about earlier uh, from this foreshadowing something of mrs crane saying like oh we need to take the ropes down otherwise i'm gonna see swinging bodies there so oh that foreshadowing of course and nell is sort of handling the rope but then her mom comes at her with the locket that she said she'd give her when she gets older puts it around her neck and nell starts to immediately clutch at her neck like there's something else there and we see she's now on the other side of the spiral staircase stepping on the edge and it kind of i take it to see that like her mom appears to push her or at least nudge her over the edge
1: yeah It's hard to know entirely, but it definitely does seem like that. She tells her it's time to wake up, and I think this is a great moment to hop right into our segments because we get a grand reveal here about one of our possible ghosts that the Bent Neck Lady is actually Nell. Yeah. The Bent Neck Lady has haunted Nell throughout her life, and even while she's awake when she's with Luke, but we come to find out that it's Nell haunting herself the whole time, and she's going in reverse order, so by... By the time that she gets to her young self, Nell, as the Bent Neck Lady, starts to scream. And that's what we saw in the first scene of this episode. And when I first watched this, my mind was blown at this <laughs> scene. So Mary, I really want to know your thoughts. And this is very fresh because I believe you just finished the episode before yeah. we started recording.
0: So I will admit that throughout this episode, we see the Bent Neck Lady several times. We get all of the main iterations. So we have her at the end of Nell's bed when she's young. We have her hovering over Nell when she's sleeping on the couch. We have her in her bedroom on the night that Arthur dies. Then we have her in the street outside where Luke is in the rain. And then we have her in the motel, which was a jarring moment where Nell is like getting a bottle of water from the vending machine and we see her come down the hallway. So those are all the moments that we've seen on the show of the Bent Neck Lady. I don't know exactly when in this episode I started to think like, oh, the Bent Neck Lady is Nell. I'm not, I don't know exactly when it was. It was before the moment where she falls. I think it was I was starting to put together because we didn't know what Nell looked like when she died from the scenes where she was brought back to Shirley. I know that we saw her sort of straightening out her neck, but we didn't actually get like an image of her with her neck completely bent. But I started thinking about like, okay, Nell's dead. We don't really know what she looked like. I think it was around the time when she was dancing and they were talking about how they had been in the Red Room when they were younger. And I was like, oh no, the Red Room is at the top of the spiral staircase. And I know that there's ropes there. And that's kind of when I started being like, oh, she's gonna hang herself. And that's when it's gonna happen. So of course there, are, if you know anything, I don't know when I learned this. I think like when I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean, but there's two different main ways to hang yourself. And that just depends on where you put the knot. If the knots on the side, then it, you're gonna have what happened with Nell here, which is it's breaking your neck and snapping your neck in two. Whereas if the knot is in the back, then you're hanging by the head until death. which is just slowly constricting your air until you can't breathe anymore. So those are two different things here. And of course, this version is the very terrifying neck snapping on the side. I I did not love the image of just looking at the neck bone. Ugh, it's not not fun. It was a a hard montage to watch. It makes me think about, okay, this young girl is being haunted by the death of herself. It's kind of, it's not exactly time travel, but it's sort of that like circular time travel, self-fulfilling prophecy sort of thing. And it does make you think about, about earlier, like the whole chicken and the egg thing that I've talked about in the past of did this happen because they went to Hill House, or did the family need to go to Hill House to fulfill this prophecy of Nell dying in this way and becoming the bent neck lady to haunt herself? I think initially you think, okay, the bent neck lady is someone else who used to live in this house. There were even parts of the time when I was watching the show where I'm like, is it the mom? But the fact that it's Nell also makes sense of why, like, Nell's the only one to see it. And now, of course, then your mind's like, Oh, is the man in the bowler hat Luke? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so we get one answer in this episode. I think that it is because they went to the Hill House. My reasoning is I've seen the whole series, (laughs) so (laughs) I have a little bit more knowledge about this aspect of it, and I don't want to give too much away as to why I think more about that reason. Other possible ghosts that we see is the mom standing over dad's shoulder at Nell's wedding, and this is just a small snippet that Nell sees, which is somewhat similar to... To the recreation of the reception at Hill House but it was kind of interesting to see her as her young self right because she hasn't aged in current time
0: and I'm trying to think now have we seen on the show anyone else see see a ghost of their mother I guess Shirley, Shirley did yeah. right in the, in the morgue and that was the only other one and I'm also wondering if maybe Theo sees anything like that when she touched Nell in the morgue if not because again I don't really know if she's seeing something or she's just experiencing the pain or whatever. Yeah. At that moment. So it would be interesting to know if Theo actually saw
1: what Nell was seeing in her vision or what we see as the viewer as Nell seeing at Hill House and walking through all of that.
0: Uh, This is something I want to go back and see, which is when Nell is in the morgue and Shirley's working on her, is she wearing the locket? Because I don't remember. Because that would help me connect. I do believe she was wearing the dress at the very least. Or when we saw her dancing by herself, she appears to be wearing the dress. So. Curious to know if she is actually wearing the locket or not, because those are some things that are sort of in this middle ground of real versus in Nell's head. You know, we know that the house didn't really have lights on and look nice like it did when Nell was seeing it. Arthur was not really there. But something, some things were kind of there. I do think the moment right before Nell falls or gets pushed or jumps or whatever, I do think on her face she seems scared and more hesitant. It doesn't seem like she really wants to do this. And it's hard to tell what she is. Is seeing and thinking is happening in that exact moment because at that point, when we see her standing on the side of the staircase with the rope around her neck, we're seeing the house as it truly is. So we don't really know what she thinks is happening in that moment. We see it when she drops, we see it as the
1: old decrepit house, but we still see her because she's looking at her mom and who then comes and kisses her. And I think it's it's a hundred percent possible that during the kiss that's kind of what pushes No off the edge because it's a very very small ledge that she was standing on and it's hard to know exactly how how this all was able to occur but maybe we'll see a little bit more and and you get even more answers as we go on and also during Nell's vision at the hill house when she's dancing we see a couple more possible ghosts so the camera's focusing on Nell and Arthur and we pan around and behind we see all the family but then it looks like we get to Mr. Dudley and then there's another man who's standing there a woman a man in a bowler hat and a woman who is dressed like a flapper.
0: Yes. Now, you told me before this podcast that you think you recognize the man in the bowler hat from something else. I went back and looked and I couldn't tell who he was. So who did you think he also was?
1: In the scene with Mrs. Dudley and Nell, when they're talking about the tea set, we see Jacqueline Hill and then Hazel, who was the owner of Hill House. I think Hazel Hill. And then I don't remember the man's name, right? But we see some images of the father of the house. House as well, and this father is wearing a bowler hat, and so we see those photos on the ledge as Mrs. Dudley is pointing them out, and so it's a very not very quick. It was definitely something that I noticed at being a second time watcher, looking more for those clues, and so I was curious when you were talking about the teacup if you were gonna mention it or see it at all.
0: I uh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't noticed that. Um, I didn't pause at that moment, but okay, that makes me a little more comforted in the fact that it's probably not some other creepy dead version of Luke then. I mean, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so while we were talking, I went back here and I was looking at the open casket episode and I do not see the locket on her, but she's not really, she's just sort of covered in a sheet for most of it. So it's kind of hard to tell if she's wearing anything at all. Waiting to see if that comes
1: back. We'll see. All right. So our Would You Rather segment, I do have somewhat of a a palette cleanser for Would You Rather. Oh, great. Yeah. So we hear in this episode, Nell and Steve talking about about life in LA and I'm curious uh, you Mary would you rather live in LA or live in Boston
0: I'd rather live in Boston I like Boston as a city and I'm not, I'm not, I feel like I'm just an East Coast person at heart. Yeah. I don't know. I like the rain. I like the cold. I don't, I don't really, I'm not a, I'm not free spirited enough to live on the West Coast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brian is a big Boston Red Sox fan. So I think that he wouldn't mind living there. And in-
0: yeah, I'm a big Boston Rob fan. There you so. go.
1: <laughs> Another great reason to go to Boston.
0: Yeah. And then the not so
1: palate cleanser, would you rather, would be, would you rather have sleep paralysis or.
0: A Nightmare Every Night. Oh, God. I mean, how often would the sleep paralysis be? I would say once a month or like once every other month. I think I'd rather have to go to the sleep paralysis. I think that would be more terrifying, but I, I'm very susceptible to nightmares as it is. And I, I always feel just terrible the next day if I like had a nightmare and I don't get good sleep. So especially if I had an Arthur there to walk me through it, I think I'm going (laughs) to go with the sleep paralysis.
1: This is a hard one because it's also the frequency, right? But I don't know, I think that the nightly nightmares, I didn't specify that they would wake you up necessarily. So, I mean, I, I've experienced I would nightmares. hope that they
0: would wake me up because otherwise I would just be terrified all the time.
1: I don't know. I, in my nightmares that I experience, I try to like figure out a way to get
0: out of the situation that I'm in. Pretty much almost every night I like lucid dream. I can almost always tell that I'm in a dream or halfway through the dream, realize I'm in a dream and then just start manipulating the dream. Be like, no, I don't want this to happen or I'm going to do this instead. I do that constantly, but it doesn't help with nightmares. I mean, that's like yeah, okay, great. I recognize him in a nightmare. It's still scary. Yeah. This is, okay.
1: <laughs> in this episode, we do unfortunately add to our death toll with Arthur, who was Nell's husband. So that brings us to a total of nine. And we're only five episodes in, so. Well, the five kittens really add the number. Yeah, but, you know, they still tragically died. And, and who's to say if it was disease previously happened or if it was the Hill House that really brought this, um, Death. These deaths. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about something
0: more lighthearted for our <laughs> superlative funniest, most lighthearted moment. What have you got? So I really enjoyed
1: the moment we see between Nell and Steve watching Shirley figure out that Theo's into bridesmaids.
0: Oh yeah. It's, they say that it took her thirty years and ten minutes of staring straight at them to realize it. And it, uh, Shirley's reaction is pretty funny. It's just like she all <laughs> of a sudden goes oh, and then like talks to her husband. And it's, uh, it's it is a lighthearted moment. I also really like the moment where Nell is having her discussion with sleep tech Arthur and he is asking her if she drinks coffee in order to understand like what her caffeine levels are and she's like oh are you asking me out on a date to get coffee I loved that moment too to me it was too cringy cause
1: it was like <laughs> oh no it's just about the sleep but then you know thankfully he was
0: he was into her and was saying I was gonna wait until after our, our session to talk about it maybe I'm just so used to Riverdale and talking about the cringiest moment that that <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) drubian for me i think on scariest
1: we have a very clear winner which is one of the first true jump scares within the series when the bent neck lady drops down on nell when she's leaving the vending machine at the motel
0: yep i i have the same one that's that's what i put too that was a very jarring moment it's like you knew something was coming because the lights all flickered and turned off But it was just a very loud jump. And it's also one of the few times, it's the first time you really see that the bent neck lady is someone who is being hanged. Like you can really tell from the angle.
1: Yeah, I was watching this and taking my notes and other things and Brian comes downstairs and starts watching it a little bit right before this happened. And when she drops down, I'm pretty sure I saw him jump and do an audible scream during this. Has Brian watched all of Haunting of Hill House? So when I first watched I think that I had started to watch it around like I said around Thanksgiving and so I think I was home alone but it's one of those things where I'm more of a TV watcher and he's more of a video game player so like I'll be watching TV and then there'll be some times where he'll come and join me and watch TV shows and then there'll be certain shows that we do watch together.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Laura will never watch anything with me. She falls asleep too too much. Didn't it take you three days to get through one movie? Yeah, that happens a lot. I think it took us three tries to get through The Avengers when I was having her watch that with me. <laughs> it was a lot. All right. Well, we had a lot of strange happenings in this episode. There's the whole situation with the wallpaper. So her mother gets angry at young Nell for having written her name, Nell, on the wall, which is very apt. Like when I was Nell's age, when I was six, I just, I was terrible. Well, graffiti because I just wrote my name everywhere and so you always get blamed because it's it's I just who else would be writing my name it was like you learn how to write your name and you immediately just start writing it on tables and on the wall and everything the coffee table that me and my sister have at our house right now is the one from our childhood growing up and my brother's name is written on the bottom of it so at that. least the bottom it's not s- visible yeah right? it's, it's not, not super as- noticeable but you can tell that the top has been like sanded and refinished <laughs> in certain areas where we probably wrote on the top anyway so it first says Nell Theo goes over and Touches it and says, I believe that you didn't do it. She peels back the wallpaper and it very obviously says come home Nell, and you can tell all it says is come home now. Okay. Then, at the end, when Nell goes into the house, we see come home Nell with the mom writing W-E-L. Oh. Ba- like, backwards. She writes L and then E and then W, so she's, like, finishing the sentence, but it previously just said come home now. I guess the question is, when Theo touched it, did she see the mom writing it? Did she see someone else writing it? I'm not I, sure. I feel like she, we haven't seen any
1: indication that Theo knows the future. Just that she can sense past things that have
0: happened. Yeah, I guess it's confusing of who first wrote the come home now. Yeah, and maybe
1: and this is something that we do find out later on, but like I said, it's been a couple years since I have watched it, so don't remember everything. <laughs> we also see that Nell sees Luke on the ceiling at the motel, and this kind of is a an indication to her that Luke is struggling, and during that scene, we also notice that the doorknob shakes, and I think you had noted that maybe this is just a transition because the next scene is the family coming into the hotel room.
0: Yeah, I thought that was possible. There were a couple things here that looked kind of like transitions because we have the whole scene with the pocket watch and the father telling Nell that two o'clock is when the aunt is going to come to pick them up. Later on in the motel, Nell wakes from sleeping and she notices that it's exactly 2 p.m. and that's when she starts calling Shirley and Steve who don't pick up from episode one. So I, I thought that was also kind of a strange coincidence that she also wakes up at exactly that time. Also, a lot of my notes around this point are just like, if you're gonna go to the house, go now while it's light out. Why are you waiting until dark? Ugh, I hate this. She kind of talks about that herself.
1: Like, well, if you hadn't slept all day, it would have been a lot better. We do see that she leaves for the house around 109. It's hard to know how far away the house is from here. It's presumably close because this is where the dad took them immediately after. Do you think it's safe to assume that she does die at 303 when we saw all of the siblings wake up.
0: That's what I presume, especially since Luke wakes up and clutches his throat when he wakes up. That's my guess is that it is at that 303. Didn't love that. And then the last
1: strange happening we kind of already talked about is the lights flickering in the motel hallway right before the bent neck lady drops. And and that was actually something that Brian had commented on when he was watching that scene is that we still have the tension build up. And this time, instead of getting a sigh of relief, we get a jump. Jo- of relief in the form of a scare.
0: <laughs> I've been very proud of this show for not resorting to jump scares all the time but they certainly work when they do use them.
1: And it's a very good use of it, right? Because then at the end it comes full circle and we see why she drops in like that. I don't know. I My mind is just still blown
0: over that montage at the end. Like I, <laughs> I understand why Nell is seeing the neck lady in the house. I don't understand why she's in the rest of her life. Yeah.
1: And then as you mentioned before, the mom had alluded in the last episode in her sort of deja vu scene that she had a vision of bodies hanging from ropes around the spiral staircase and it has unfortunately come true
0: and we're only on episode five but i really hope that that's the only body we have to see hanging from the spiral staircase that would be very nice and hannah's giving me her little smile i don't like this oh okay all right everyone you know what it's been a longer episode we had a lot to talk about it was a longer episode of the show longer episode of the podcast feel free to send us any kind of questions or comments you have to our website website kowskicast.com or at us on twitter at kowskicast that's cow with a k you can also check out all the other podcasts we do on our website or on itunes spotify or your favorite podcatcher you can follow me online at frail mary and you can follow hannah at hannah on instagram and if you've enjoyed the podcast we would love it if
1: you left a five star rating and a review on itunes it helps a lot of other people find
0: our podcast and uh potentially get scared and freaked out about uh any show well at least scared and freaked out about the show i mean you know with riverdale you'll just cringe a bunch
1: yeah you can you can listen to an episode of this and then watch an episode of riverdale
0: and really start to question your life yeah it'll cleanse your palate though at least before bed (laughs) all right everyone that's all for this week's episode thank you for joining us and we'll be back next time for our coverage of episode six two storms for now we're the kowski cast thanks for listening bye